Gentlemen, we are dealing with the undead. Mas, Feralto. Yes, Nosferatu. The undead. The vampire. According to the legends of my people, the last Khan Dracula became one of the undead. A vampire. I am Dracula. I bid you welcome. Welcome to the now playing Universal Films Dracula Movie Retrospective Series. I have crossed oceans of time to find you. Hosted by Jacob. Oh, and I have waited an eternity for a man of your strength, your gifts, your will. Arnie. I am considered somewhat of an authority on the subject. And Stuart. We've all become God's madmen. All of us. This episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and strong language. Run to your mother. We hope you enjoy the show. Now, let's eat. Today we're discussing Dracula's Daughter. Starring Otto Kruger, Gloria Holden, and Marguerite Churchill. Directed by Lambert Hillier. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing and Child of the Night. And Stuart. This is the co-host who detests vacillating women, Jacob. So, we're focused on Dracula right now, but if we were following Universal Monsters... This is movie number seven. They've had this whole renaissance in between Dracula and its sequel, where they put out not only Frankenstein, but also his bride, the mummy, the werewolf had a movie, the invisible man. They probably would have kept going creating original characters. They had to make a Dracula sequel because they had their hands shown. A smart executive, David O. Selznick, had gone and bought the rights to Bram Stoker's other Dracula work. And this feels like a cheat, because I read it, and it's not a different story, but an excised chapter from Dracula got published after he died as Dracula's guest. And he was going to make a sequel at MGM with that title, and gave Universal the option for a year to buy it back and to make the sequel quick. That was their forced hand to focus on Dracula right away. You say you read this? I've never even heard of Dracula's guest. What happens in this chapter? Okay, so it's early on in the book. Jonathan Harker, as you know, takes a long ride to get to the castle, and it's that horrible night of the spirits. He stops, he tells the driver to stop at some, and I don't even know why, but he's like, I want to check out this house, this abandoned house with a graveyard and whatever. He's a realtor. He might be able to sell it. He's going to flip it. You're right. There you go. (laughs) He's going to flip it. (laughs) Totally makes sense. Although the funny thing in the story, they don't call him Jonathan Harker. They just, they remove that because supposedly this is a separate story, keep in mind. (laughs) But he sees a woman and then she bursts into flames. Is that Dracula's daughter? I don't think so. But uh, in the end, he's about to be eaten by wolves and the police come running and they say that Count Dracula had sent them, had tipped them off that this unnamed narrator needed help. But that wasn't used for this then because this had one of the weirdest credits I've ever seen. How can I get this job and get 
get paid for it in Hollywood. A suggested buy credit for Oliver Jeffries. Like, I don't mm. know. Like, here's an idea. I got lots of ideas for movies, Hollywood. You can give me a suggested <laughs> buy credit. Give me a few thousand bucks. I'll be happy. No, no, no. Hear what that really is. That's blackmail. <laughs> I'm not above blackmail. That is not a real person. That was David O. Selznick saying, I'm going to sell this to your competitor, and Dracula 2 is going to be made by somebody else unless you buy the rights to this story. (laughs) And so even though they weren't going to make the movie out of this story, that was the suggestion. Do it now or lose (laughs) Dracula from your stable of monsters. And so, yes. And they only had a year. He was like, and I'm only going to option this to you for, you know, 1935, 1936, and then that's it. I'm going back to MGM. So they, it's a rush job. They had to put a focus on this fast, and they put out to a couple different writers, what should we do? There were lots of concepts, some that included Bela, some that did not. I think the surprise to me, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I thought Bela Lugosi played Dracula a hundred times. Stuart, that was my question for you, because I would have assumed that. Why isn't Bella here? Right. Why hasn't he done a thousand other Dracula movies in these five years, as Hollywood would do? I looked at his IMDb. He played Dracula one other time with Abbott and Costello, and he played vampires a few times. But yeah, this was not a reoccurring role for him, which was a shock. Right. If you watch Ed Wood, the Tim Burton biopic, that guy is drunk and still wearing the widow's peak and cape (laughs) and like acting like every day of his life he has to be this character. But in fact, he only made five Universal movies. And yeah, they were mostly Edgar Allan Poe things. He, What it was, was he hated it. He wanted the reputation of a legitimate actor. He was tired of being typecast. He did not get that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so he fought it. He fought it, and to, I think to his detriment. If he had played into it, he probably would have had some of the iconic roles that went to Boris Karloff, Lon Chaney Jr., and other people. But he didn't want to be the horror guy, and so he just remains the Dracula. But yeah, they wrote roles for him. There were scripts that had ideas about him being at least in the first half and then his daughter taking over in the second half. They always knew that they wanted it to involve a woman, because I guess that had become chic. I mean, Bride of Frankenstein was a success. Yes, of course, that tips you off, that, like, do the female counterpart. But I guess burlesque shows, like, women were donning fangs, and, like, (laughs) being a vampire stripper was a thing. So they they had made a couple movies. I mean, now you can see Marvel strippers at burlesque shows, so they're just, that's just the tradition, I guess, whatever's popular. They had made a few rip-offs, other studios had made female vampire pictures. Todd Browning did at another studio, Mark of the Vampire. And so they felt like this will be the angle that makes this one unique. We'll get it with a woman. And the producer of this, this kills me. The movie this could have been is amazing. I guess the production code was having trouble enforcing its rules. And it kind of collapsed. And so this guy was like, this is our moment. We can finally do the sex (laughs) and the sin. And he had this Dracula's daughter is not the I don't want to be a vampire moping melodrama queen that we get in this movie. She had whips. She had chains. (laughs) She had dominatrix. Yeah, she was totally an S&M, like, uh, super dominatrix who not only, like, would tempt men into her lair, but she went back to that castle and whipped those three brides into shape, too. <laughs> they were running around doing her well. Like, it sounded really crazy. But, of course, the codes, whatever the problems, the hiccup was for the month that he wrote that draft, 
they got it together and were like, uh uh-uh, you're not making that. And so the director they had hired, James Whale, the one that had made Frankenstein the real hit, you know, he was considered the real talented director. He had made Bride as well. He was into the idea of kinky sex, you know, just watch the biopic Gods and Monsters. He probably would have been down to make Dracula's daughter. But once that option took away, he left and he went and made a musical, Showboat. And they hired another director that worked with W.C. Fields, made comedies. They kept losing money. The stalling, delaying, they paid him for not making the movie. Bela was hired at one point, but because he didn't really want to do it, once he got his payday, his lawyer told him, you'd get the money even if you didn't make the movie. He walked. And so he agreed to license his waxwork dummy. And so we have one shot in this movie of a wax Bela Lugosi with a stake in it, but no Bela Lugosi. Oh, I thought that was just a reuse shot from last film, too. (laughs) Yeah. No, because they didn't even show us the goddamn stake in last film. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of trouble in trying to get this done quickly and fast. They threw a lot of money and it became a very expensive and costly film at a time when Universal was starting to lose money again. And so this ends up kind of killing the studio, at least their monster franchise for a while. Dracula's daughter comes out without Bela Lugosi, does okay business, but can't pay its cost. And they just stop making monster movies for a couple years. It's the death of the Universal monster. Monsters for a while. It is hard to believe that a movie couldn't make back its budget of $278,000, according to Wiki. That seems so cheap, but then I have to remember people were only paying a nickel for a ticket. Mm-hmm. That's 1930s $270,000. Depression. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Right, that people don't even have the nickel, so yeah, that's that's hard to come by. You got to make it a real attraction, but yes, in the end, even though this is not considered the financial success at the time, critical reevaluation. The thing that I'd always known about this movie, this is the first time I've watched it. The critics would tell you much better made film. This is the rare case where the sequel is better than the original. I mean, better made. I, I Yeah. What isn't better made than that 1931 Dracula? <laughs> the fact that this has a score, it's already better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about that. But again, you know, you hire a hack which is essentially what they had to do with. Lambert Hilliard was not anybody. He made a bunch of westerns. I think his claim to fame is he made the Batman movie we'll never review. There is a serial from 1943. Where they use racial slurs? Apparently. I'm never watching it, so I can't verify. (laughs) But yeah, we debated it. We were just like, no, I'm not watching the four-hour black and white (laughs) serial. This is... And there were two of them, too. Yeah, I think he only did the first one. But he was a director for hire that could roll with the punches and the chaos of this set and threw this production together. And even out of that, it's considered a better movie than, uh, you know, respected director Todd Browning checking out when he lost his leading man. We'll find out how good it is. Arnie, why don't you give him the plot? Well, this movie picks up right where the first one left off. Van Helsing or Von Helsing, as he's now known. Yeah, what happened there? (laughs) Again, played by Edward Van Sloan, not Edward Von Sloan, is in Dracula's basement, standing next to the staked body of Dracula and the dead body of Renfield laying in the other room. Von Helsing is then arrested for murdering Dracula. For his defense, Von Helsing requests a former student of his, psychiatrist Dr. Jeffrey Garth, played by Otto Kruger. Garth is no lawyer and finds Von Helsing's rantings about vampires too fantastic to believe, but Garth vows to get Von Helsing freed. 
This may be easier than thought as the body of Dracula has gone missing. Into town has come Dracula's daughter, Countess Marja Zaleska, played by Gloria Holden. Zaleska is glad to be free of Dracula's rule, and to ensure that, she has stolen the body and burned it. She does this with the aid of her servant Sandor, played by Irving Pitchell. Destroying Dracula doesn't help Zaleska's hunger for blood. She enters the London society scene and uses a special ring to hypnotize her victims before she feeds on them. At a local party, Zaleska meets Dr. Garth. She's attracted to the man and wonders if his psychiatry can help her overcome her addiction to blood. Alas, the thirst is just too much and Zaleska keeps killing for food. One of Zaleska's victims survives the attack and informs Garth that it is the Countess doing the killings. He goes after Zaleska, but she has fled to Transylvania, but taken with her a captive, Garth's comely secretary, Janet. Garth gives chase to Transylvania to rescue Janet, who he loves. In Transylvania, Zaleska offers Garth a trade. She will let Janet go if Garth gives himself to Zaleska. The Countess will transform Garth into a vampire, and they will live for eternity together. Garth agrees, but before he can be turned, Zaleska is shot through the heart with a wooden arrow. Zaleska had promised Sandor, her servant, that he would get to become a vampire. He sees Zaleska's promise to Garth as a betrayal, so he destroys his undead master. Sandor is then shot dead by Scotland Yard police, operating well outside their jurisdiction. <laughs> they were led to Transylvania by Von Helsing, who came to rescue his former student. This is an international incident now. <laughs> and we're left wondering if Von Helsing is now a fugitive, having escaped London without a trial, as credits roll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear some humor here, and I think it's in the movie as well. We're poking fun, but I think we're encouraged to laugh when we get the start here, and they're picking up minutes after the first movie. Minutes or decades? Because didn't the last movie take place in the 1800s? There were no telephones, everybody was dressed in top hats. No, there were telephones, because that's what Dracula used to lure out Dr. Seward from the opera or whatever, is saying, you got a telephone call. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, the last movie, it was modern. It took place in 1931. And, I yeah, I think this is literally like the Jonathan Harker grabbed Mina and took her up the stairs, and then these two bumbling cops came <laughs> down afterwards, minutes later. Walked in and saw stuff we never got to see, like a stake in Dracula's heart. And Jonathan and Mina are just like, screw that Van Helsing dude. We're going to let him go by Von Helsing <laughs> and not testify on his behalf or anything. <laughs> Yeah, is that a cover? Is that why the name has changed? Like, the, the, not to know that he's this prestigious guy that has been fighting vampires for decades and written books about it? Like, it felt like the end of Herzog's Nosferatu, where Van Helsing's being arrested. and But, like, there was a group of doctors in that last film. I know there was no, like, home media in 1936. You can't go back and pick this apart. But we can. And there was, like, a group of doctors who were like, oh, yeah, two bites. We have a Dracula that we're fighting. We have a vampire we're worried about. Like, it was more than Van Helsing knew that. Yeah, but come on. I mean, for in most cases, yeah, if you bring to court, I didn't kill the man, I staked a vampire. He's got the medical community on his side. Here's the debate. Yes, it goes to Scotland Yard. We get this guy, Basil, who has to decide, should I hang the guy or put him in the madhouse? This is the choice. And you mentioned that there's some comedy in here. It's in the score, right? Like when the cops are about to arrest Von Helsing, the score is playing it like we're watching a circus. It's very comedic music while 
Von Helsing is telling the police of murder and staking someone through the heart, which at least the actors seem to be playing it a little bit dramatic, but the music is really undercutting it. Well, we have music, yeah. So there is a composer. Heinz Romhald is here, and he had worked on prestigious 30s movies like All Quiet on the Western Front, The Black Cat. He'd later work with Orson Welles. Yeah, I, I think this is generally termed... The colloquial is Mickey Mousing. Whenever you have the music kind of like mimic whatever's going on and do 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 do, you know, <laughs> if these are bumbling characters, then you have music that reflects that. And the encouragement to laugh, I think, is early. Most Universal Pictures don't play into the camp value until the late 30s, 40s, once they started hanging out with Abbott and Costello. But this feels (laughs) like a first draft of that, right? Yeah, when you have these bumbling cops, it definitely feels like Bela Lugosi's going to walk on set with Abbott and Costello. Yeah, and the Wolfman, and again, the way that it became, like, throw them all together and have a laugh. You know, we haven't covered those movies. We will. Right now, only focusing on the Dracula exclusive films. Yeah, like they bring Dracula's body and put it in a cell, I guess. And then like the ground, like there's rats. We're told there's rats. We actually see the ground. They, they actually invested some money in some kind of special effect here. Unlike that last <laughs> one where the ground is like bulging. Oh, they had money. They spent too much money on this. <laughs> But yeah, we see that ground bulging and it it does, it just feels very comedic. I don't know if it's supposed to feel scary. I'm kind of chuckling at it. Yeah, it's comedic because the guys are bickering about, you didn't see a rat. And then he walks out and like, I'm going to go to the train. Like, gotta go. Like, just going to leave you with this. I know that that's probably not a rat. Do rats burrow under the ground? I mean, I didn't think it was a rat. I thought it was going to be Dracula's daughter or something underground. I know. It is, right? I mean, that is what it is. Suddenly she's there. She does show up in the other room right after that, yeah. Yeah, suddenly she is there, and yes, she's called the daughter. Let's just get this out of the way. There's no blood relation, right? The Dracula did not have a child. I just thought this was, yeah, one of those brides, because they don't say anything about parentage. But they're not daughters. I don't marry my daughter. I know, but they don't say anything about parentage. Okay, maybe this is some other woman that was turned by Dracula. That's We could agree with that. But yeah, there's no parentage to Dracula. There was in certain drafts the idea that when Dracula died in the middle of this movie, that suddenly they thought, oh good, it's all over. No, I thought he died last movie. But anyway, yes. <laughs> they were going to configure something for Bela. And then this woman would come in and it would, she would be the climax. Oh, now I have all the power. I got the whips. I'm even worse than daddy. But it's different now. They didn't get the actress they wanted. First of all, they didn't get the script they wanted. But there was an actress that had been involved in their earlier Mummy movie that they called exotic and and fun and feisty. Again, if you were going to play it like a vampire that enjoyed their work, you would go with her. But at some point, the conception became the long-suffering vampire, the woman that doesn't want to be undead and is trying to free herself of a curse. It requires a different performance, and they hired this woman last minute. Gloria Holden was known as aristocratic, and I think... The disdain you feel that she has here, this <laughs> aloofness, this Greta Garbo kind of vibe, 
is actually true of the actress as well. She didn't want to be there. She didn't thought the whole thing was stupid. And you really get the sense that, yeah, she wants to escape the curse of being associated with Universal Monsters. I guess her agent wasn't as good as Bella Lugosi. She said, yeah, you sign on to the movie and then just don't show up and you get a paycheck, which worked for you. <laughs> she had to show up. And I agree, like, she's kind of a problem for this film. She's real boring. But I like, mm-hmm. I like the setup. Like, I got excited early on because my Dracula is Nosferatu and that Herzog one brought so much humanity and sympathy towards the monster. And so when mm-hmm. they started to hint at that, that, yeah, she wanted to escape this curse, I did get excited. I'm like, oh, they're getting back into that emotional take about vampires. Because if you can't show them, like, ripping people's throats open, then you got to give me something else. And so early on, I got excited. They're not going to do much with it. Like, this this actress doesn't care. It, it's all going to fall flat. But there is a ray of hope there. Well, here's the thing. I, I want to stress that because I think we can take it for granted. After Twilight and such, the idea of the goth emo vampire is a cliche as well. But in 1936, it hadn't ever been done before. If you were a vampire, you were the embodiment of evil and you just enjoyed corrupting. And to have the idea that, you know, you could have a kind of like Frankenstein, really, a put upon monster. Someone that didn't ask for this is new to vampire lore. And so I think that that is the novelty of it. And I do think that her aloof performance works for that conception. I would have preferred the whips, but I can go with this. I think you're right. When she steals the body and burns it and talks about, finally, I can walk in daylight, I have some empathy. That is the one scene of hers I like and probably the only scene of hers I like. It's where I feel she's emoting and I feel like there's a character turn as she thinks because she burned Dracula with salt. Apparently, salt is highly flammable. I never knew that. I Mm. use it in cooking, and I've never (laughs) had a stove fire from salt. But she thinks that this may turn her back human, and her servant is there, and she's like, I'm playing the song. (laughs) It's a sad song. (laughs) I love... You can hate on Marja all you want, but I love Sandor. He is the best. (laughs) He is the servant. I mean, you always want that in a comedy. The servant... That's always putting down their boss as they're serving them. Yes, I'll do your bidding, but you are crazy, bitch, is the vibe (laughs) that he's always giving. Like, yeah, like she's singing lyrics and he's like, are those birds or bats? You know, like just always (laughs) twisting it to let her know you have not escaped Dracula's curse. You're still a vampire. And yeah, we're going out tonight and you're going to take out a guy. But I just don't go with this countess's performance for the rest of the film it is too aloof i would rather her be the depressed vampire than the aloof vampire you know what i'm saying she just seems so unaffected and this whole movie is going to turn on her character and it's a problem especially when she's being overshone by other actors on screen i dig it i'm gonna go ahead and be the lone vote for her in this one i think it changes the character of it she's not doing bela lugosi they'll do some highlights she does have some eye hypnosis but mostly it's her jewelry she has a ring that she like uses on this dude and it works for me the idea that she has impulses she can't control end up working with the subtext of this movie because this will get into the idea that she's a lesbian and that most even though it's a dude here in the beginning most of who she attacks next for the rest of the picture are women 
Yeah, when she's first introduced, she's like covered head to toe except for her eyes. And I was like, you're saying they had a lot of money. But my assumption was, oh, they didn't have the money to be able to light her eyes. So like, we'll just make it real obvious by covering every other part of her body and face besides that. I thought she was a Muslim. I'll be honest. I thought it was a Muslim vampire. That's what she looks like. Yeah. (laughs) There is a really cool Muslim vampire movie. Yeah. A girl walks home alone at night. Recommend. Yeah, I recommend that one. That's the Burka vampire movie. But no, in this one, yes, it's just someone that, again, has to protect themselves from being exposed and who is not wanting to be seen. I guess it helps that I know Greta Garbo. I don't know if you guys have seen any of her works, but she was very popular at this time. She had her signature line, I want to be alone. You know, she should have been the one. Honestly, if they could have gotten Greta Garbo, it would have been a perfect marriage of screen image and character like this is a popular type of the time so i groove to it i like it but there's going to be a man that might be able to save her as news gets out about von helsing going to the gallows one of his students decides to stop grouse hunting come back from scotland and defend his mentor we have jeffrey garth and his secretary who drives up and Picks him up, and I guess, you know, I don't know a whole lot about the 1930s, but I'm like, wow, they let women drive from the start. <laughs> I kind of thought that was a thing that took a while. But Well, here's the thing. There's a character type called uh, His Girl Friday, and it was the idea that some women, it's kind of like a tomboy, some women, in order to make it in industries, uh, had to be one of the boys. And I think that's kind of how he sees her. Unfortunately for her, she's totally crushing on him, and he sees her as a secretary. And so she's extremely jealous that this man is going to take an interest in an exotic beauty like Marja and doesn't notice the woman that has been pining for him the whole time. Yeah, like a lot of this film, I understand what they're trying to achieve. And we talked about the comedy. And I feel like when Janet shows up and we see her and Jeffrey Garth interact, I'm like, is this a screwball comedy? Like, it feels like they want to go there, but I'm never laughing. Like, the jokes are never hitting. This romance is never hitting for me. But, like, I feel like that's the direction they wanted to go. That's what they wanted to achieve. I think it's there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this isn't a comedy, so it shouldn't be Laugh Riot. But I think they wanted to capture the spirit of a popular genre. There are other things that are popular in the 30s, musicals, and yes, the screwball comedy. It happened one night, would have been the same year as this. So I do think that they were thinking, how do we have a character caught in the balance, right? Garth is, on one hand, tempted by an obsession, an unhealthy one perhaps, with this dark lady, but then there's this good blonde. It happens a lot in noirs, where there is the femme fatale and the good girl. The blonde and the brunette, yeah. Yeah, you you have to decide which path you're going to go, and, and they symbolize those. But they meet, Marja and Garth meet at a party thrown by Hedda Hopper. I couldn't believe this, but the famous gossip columnist was an actress at one point, and here she is throwing the party that gets them together. I feel like this is postmodern casting. Yeah, it totally lost on me. No idea about old Hollywood gossip columnist. <laughs> I don't even know current gossip columnist, let alone old ones. Yeah, well, she was the Lisa Gibbons of her day, if that means anything. Hedda <laughs> Hopper always had the scoop, and here she is, yeah, getting the vampire together with the hero of the movie. And th- I thought it was interesting like bringing psychology into it. Garth is a psychologist, and yeah, wants to, I don't know, Freudian analyze Marja to cure her of whatever ails her. Well, I mean, let's talk about what that really is. Homosexuality was considered a mental perversion at the time 
And so she hears him at this party. He talks about how he is going to free von Helsing of his delusion of vampires. She knows there are vampires, but she's hoping that he can also free her of her delusions. That death and Dracula still have a hold on her mind is another way of saying, hey, after I leave this party, I'm going to go find a female prostitute and drink her. She won't submit to any psychoanalysm because there's mirrors on this hypnotism machine the psychologist wants to use. Yeah, I think that's the reason. Yeah, I thought that was cool. Yeah, he has like this funky machine, how 30s, that they invented a device <laughs> to hypnotize like this. It's like you take up the whole backseat of the carriage, but it works on mirrors and like a flame. And yeah, he wants to use it on her, but of course, you know, she can't be seen. So mirrors don't work on her. And he's starting to figure her out, right? We realize that Garth knows, in listening to Von Helsing, eventually he knows that Von Helsing is not crazy and that he was he was right about Dracula and he's right about Marcia. Yeah, good news, people in 1936 where there's no home media and you can't review that 1931. They're going to like just talk about it a whole lot throughout this film, like recap everything that went on with Dracula. So is that, I hear complaint in that, but I, there's a charm in that too. I mean, I find that this movie's pretty fleet. It's only, it's barely over an hour and I feel like, yeah, seeing all of these gimmicks and the idea that, yeah, this was a time where you couldn't go watch the original movie. And you may have missed it. Again, there has been, what, five years in between Dracula 1 and Dracula 2? I find all of this staginess and data dumping charming. Mm, charming is a hard word to agree with because I don't find it charming. If it was charming, I wouldn't be complaining about it. If there is fun to these scenes, I wouldn't be grousing about it. But it feels like long segments of data dumps. And yeah, this is like 70 minutes or whatever. I hit the the timer. to like, how much more of this do I have left? I was only like 35 minutes in do it i'm like oh boy okay i'm with you there i actually checked the timer at about 30 minutes and that's when i realized oh it's only 70 minutes okay i'm okay <laughs> with that but i'll go down the middle as far as the recapping i view it as necessary i understand why yeah yeah and it doesn't bother me that they recap the movie in any way it's just none of this dialogue stands out to me as great so it's not like we took a break from astounding scenes of back and forth and it then got this recap but it would have been worse if it had included flashbacks and things like that some cut-in scenes i just kind of took it for what it was i'm surprised they didn't do more of that if if bella had signed up for this already like i assuming they had the rights to just use old footage no no he you can have the wax dummy. That's it. That's it. <laughs> and, wow. And I think that was $4,000, to be honest. Like, yeah, I think that they could not do that. But I don't know. I This may be a long retrospective for you guys then. I do feel <laughs> like you need to like the grammar of this style of movie. You need to be charmed by its quaintness, quite frankly. And if you're if you're thinking this is boring... Yeah, I don't know how you're going to deal with The Man-Made Monster or some of the later schlockier Universal movies. I would actually prefer schlock. Yeah, here's you're talking about quaintness. This is Dracula. This is vampires. I know it's the 30s and we can't get the kind of gore and scares that we're used to, but give me something. 1922 Nosferatu is spooky. Lesbians! Lesbians! That's a pretty risque subject matter for 1936. Under 19 layers of subtext. Yes. Don't sell this as a as a woman in prison type of movie. It is not. And you know what? I didn't even get the lesbian subtext until I read the Wikipedia article. I was not seeing it. What? 
All right, let's talk about what we're given. So she goes out again, and there's a woman that's going to a bridge. She's going to commit suicide. She's either a prostitute or she can't live with her lesbian impulses. But they have a spark. Don't tell me that when they stare into each other's eyes, we're not seeing the same, like, Bela kind of come hither. You know, there's... There's a romantic attraction between these two women. And the idea that I'm going to invite you over so I can paint your portrait sounds like the casting couch cliche that it is. I mean, she's inviting her over for sex and then she drinks her. I mean, yes, you have to decode that from 1930s. You know, literally, we can't depict that on screen. But I think that's part of the charm. But also... This whole movie, she's smitten with Dr. Garth. No, she's smitten with that Dr. Garth can save her from these impulses. This is what she thirsts for in her dark of night. And yes, he can make a legitimate woman out of her. He can bring that out of her with his psychiatry. It's there. I'm telling you guys, it's really there. No, I agree. It is there, but it doesn't feel like, oh, you want a, a lost gem of queer cinema? Like, watch this film. I, I just, yes, it's kind of there, but it doesn't play out the way it needs to play out. Yeah, Jacob and I saw the same movie. I saw it pretty clearly. I was thinking about it during the scene where she takes that prostitute back and she's like, yeah, wants to paint a picture of her. I'm like, okay, this is a lesbian scene. Yeah, come on. Yeah. And do you want me to take the shoulder straps off of my slip <laughs> and you know she has to hold the slip up by her bosom lest it fall i'm watching too many 1930s things if i'm calling it a bosom they <laughs> photograph her by the devil's mask now, again you have to do those things the fun of a 1930s movie just to put it out there is because they're so restricted they have to sneak things in you have to be hyper aware of how a little line or a little detail signifies something big that's part of the, I don't know, thrill, I guess. I'm not saying this movie is great, but I'm saying you guys are being almost willfully immune to the charm of what's going down for Marja. It is pretty unique what we're seeing here, at least in terms of vampire movies of its day. Maybe if this actress cared more about her role, like I said, I'm really into her whole mindset from the beginning, but this actress just, yeah, aloofness. It, it doesn't let me in and it doesn't let me feel like whatever her real desires are and like all that stuff you could do subtly is just missing here. I wanted one more female victim. She's going to go from this to Janet and Janet has been playing all kinds of games. At one point she shows up in this extravagant fur coat. I'm wondering how a secretary could afford. She quits her job. She ties his tie wrong, all of that. I like that bit of business about tying the tie because, again, this is all about biting the neck, right? It makes you think about that vampirism and, and going for the jugular. So, again, it's little stuff. I'm not saying that this is a tremendous film. I'm saying it's a fun B picture. I would much prefer the His Girl Friday film that we're getting between Janet and Garth here. I'm enjoying their relationship, how stoic he is and unresponsive, how playful she is, tying the tie, saying she's going to quit, and then him like, grab your notepad. But I quit. Oh, stop your foolery. Get the notepad. And she goes with him. I actually found that to be the best stuff in this film. I mean, they made a movie called His Girl Friday. Catherine Hepburn made a career out of being this character. It's a cliche for a reason. They're always fun to see. And that conflict of how do you be one of the boys and still be seen attractive as a woman is a fun one to explore, usually in comedies. And it's been 
worked into this subtext about men and and women. Again, Garth, he's also obsessed, and we're not sure if he can fall under the hypnosis of the ring the same way that the victims do. Is his smarts going to uh, save him? is a part of it. But he tries to get the story out of Lily and she dies rather than giving it up. Like she just expires on the bed from, I don't know what, lesbianism or something. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was blood loss. Like, oh no, they say it later that the thrall that Zaleska has them in is fatal unless Zaleska releases them. That's why he can't release Janet later on. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, exactly what I'm saying. Like, she's got you. She corrupts you with her, with them eyes. No, the ring. It's the ring that corrupts them. Yeah. It's kind of both. I mean, they do use a little bit of eye light. That's her talisman. It's it's coming from her. Yeah. But it's kind of the same thing in my mind. It's a it's a variation on what Bella had. And I'm going to say, I think, I hear you guys don't like her and that she's a problem. But I actually think that she works for this conception. I'm not saying I wouldn't have enjoyed a feistier, whip-wielding vampire. But if they are going to go with Greta Garbo, then this looks like Greta Garbo vampire. Yeah, I just feel like everything I liked in the, in the first, I don't know, 20 minutes or whatever, it just, it doesn't last throughout the film with these performances, especially with, again, Marja, like, I wanted more. Yeah, I wanted one more kill. I felt like we ought to see her take out one other woman. That would really confirm what was going on here. And, you know, we're just conditioned for kill count, right? Like, to have two deaths, one dude and one woman, that's not enough like we want a body count like twilight had more kills than <laughs> yeah. this did like yeah that's my problem as a vampire film even though it's the 30s i know there's certain things they can't do i'm still expecting to have some kind of it might not scare me but i want to see the effort by them to to try to do something horrific in a horror film yeah overall my biggest problem with this film is it drags another kill would at least give it something going on but the second scene between garth and Zelensky just i don't even know what we're supposed to get out of that that we didn't get out of the party scene i mean again you're just watching them wrestle with this condition again the if you accept that it's lesbianism the joke that science can cure as you know that's a modern perspective i don't know that people would have been laughing about that in 1936 or even seen it as you say it's subtle enough that you could miss it all but I think there's some entertainment value as a modern audience looking at the coded language here. And yeah, some of it did go over my head. At one point, you know, once Janet gets kidnapped, Marja grabs her and takes her back to Transylvania. And they cut to the Scotland Yard guy in bed playing with his stamp collection. And his butler comes and he makes this joke about, like, vampires. You go after vampires with your checkbook. I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah, what did that mean? Apparently, again, if at the time you would understand that this is jumping on a trend, that there are down the street a burlesque show where you could watch vampire women and at another movie Ah. theater, they're playing other vampirous films. It's a break the fourth wall kind of joke. Meta commentary. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But is lost to time now. We don't understand (laughs) that. But yeah, we're at the climax. You guys are acting like this movie's eternal, but... Feels that way. Basically, (laughs) secretary's in danger and dude's going to grab a plane and and get to her. London back to Transylvania. That makes sense. I like the idea that we go back to Dracula's castle. We get some kind of ending here. I always like Sandor, so the fact that he's going to bust out the crossbow... 
and try to take out uh, Garth here. Eh, it's as thrilling as this climax is going to get. The fact that he was able to just get a plane to Transylvania and make it seem like it's a hot pursuit. I mean, usually when somebody takes flight, you're not that hot on their heels after. But she's waiting for him. She's the spider who's led the fly into the web because she has Janet in that trance just laying there i wonder is this hungary anymore i feel like it's almost germany i feel like in lots of ways like i don't know i'm getting a german vibe like accents and everything again it's the garboness of this this vampire woman but it doesn't feel like the same village this time but they do say they're stopping at that same point when he gets the carriage to give him a ride they go no further than the Borgo Pass. Borgo Pass, that's it. Yeah, I, that made me perk up because I did not think we were in Transylvania. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure this is intended to be Transylvania, but yeah. it doesn't look like the same castle at all. It looks more like a house. I just was getting Germanic vibes and performances and accents and what have you. The the changing it to Von Helsing, I, I, don't, I don't know. What, for whatever reason, yeah, we have a climax where finally Sandor is going to show that he... This is always a conflict if you watch the show, what we do in the shadows. Yes. Guillermo. Like the, the servants. Like, <laughs> I'm next in line. You don't get to be vampire. <laughs> I get this. I love that Sandor is, like, bitterly <laughs> jealous that the shrink is jumping the line ahead of him. To the point that he is going to stake Zaleska, not with a you know wooden stake, but with a wooden arrow, thus expanding that any piece of wood can be a stake if you want it bad enough. Did it have a wood tip? That's what I was wondering. Does it have to be a wood tip? Can you have like, yeah, the arrow tip on there? And then as long as the wood touches the heart, does that count? <laughs> can you get a splinter in your heart and that will kill a vampire? Hmm. Maybe. I think that would kill a human, too. I don't know exactly <laughs> how you get a splinter in your heart. It sounds painful. I'm just wondering how much wood needs to be in that heart. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's kind of Rob's Garth of making a decision, though. What would he have done? Like, was he tempted? Would he have traded Janet for himself? Did he like this woman? I think so. I think he would have traded himself for Janet. I thought he was giving himself up fully and... Thus, our hero is robbed of any heroism. He was going to sacrifice himself, but he does not do anything to conquer the vampire. Yeah, that that was a big problem for me. As much as I groused about this, again, there's some interesting stuff here. Like you said, Stuart, I think you're overselling it a little bit, but there's interesting stuff going on. But when, yeah, Sandor just pops out of nowhere and stakes the vampire, I'm like, oh, I really wanted to see what Garth was going to decide, and now we're not even going to get that. Why wouldn't Sandor just shoot garth instead like you have no chance of eternal life now well he did shoot at garth when he first shows up outside but yes w what's happening here in this moment we have a woman on woman scene like she's about to bite into janet's neck on the balcony and yeah i'm going to take out you because yeah you don't love me i guess that's the way to interpret that jealousy I don't know. It kind of works. I mean, I, I hear you guys saying it doesn't, but I do agree it would have been nice to see Garth do a little bit more. The other guys, <laughs> Scotland Yard is blowing into Transylvania as well. They ride in to proclaim the fact that, yes, this dead woman is pretty. And this is always a, a subtext, right, of lesbianism, of like, why would she go with a woman if she's pretty? If she has <laughs> options, she could be with a man. But, oh my God, look, she's 100 years old and and drop dead gorgeous. Yeah, to me, that was the joke is a hundred year old corpse is pretty. 
Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying with the subtext, but yeah, I didn't catch it there. But what did you catch? Jacob Stewart, do you <laughs> recommend Dracula's daughter, Jacob? Yeah, would I rather catch flies and eat them like Renfield or sit through this film again? Here's the thing. Controversial statement, but as a film, better than Dracula 1931, Bela Lugosi. I'm, I'm just going to state that. Ooh, for sure. That's not even controversial. It's better made. There's insert shots. There's coverage. Yes, yes. All those things I liked about Spanish Dracula are, well, that didn't have a score, but th- like, yes, just a better made film. And so is it more entertaining? Does that get this one to the recommend? Here's the problem. I've, I've said it throughout this film. Like, the, yeah, there are things that I liked. I got the lesbian subtext, but I don't know. It doesn't feel like it, it could do much with that. Like, is this a screwball comedy? It's got the bones of one, but it never really gets there. But I could see, like, I could see a lot of things they're trying to achieve. They just don't land for me. The, the fact that I got to sit through a lot of uninteresting dialogue, not dialogue, but uninteresting dialogue recapping what happened to the original Dracula. Like, I clock watched at 35 minutes. I had to see, I'm like, there's only got to be five minutes left of this. Nope. I got half the film still to go. It still kind of drags. Maybe that's because of age. I don't know. I found a lot of these, again, performances that were conceptually interesting, but but then when the actors did what they're supposed to do, it all kind of just lands flat. And so ultimately, not that entertaining, but better than Bella Lugosi's Dracula, but still, I'm not going to recommend it. Stuart. Hmm. Makes me wonder about, again, this whole universal <laughs> franchise of like, this is kind of the style. And I think it's one of the better examples. I'm not fluent in this. I don't know a ton of the universal monsters. And I'm not saying this is a great film. It's not. It's definitely not. We've seen a great film, and that was the 1922 Nosferatu. This doesn't touch that. But I think if you accept the parameters of when this was made, you can have some fun here. I had a pretty good time. I thought it was easy to watch. I enjoyed the female take on the vampire, the lesbianism, the aloofness, the Greta Garbo-ness of this actress. And Sandor is just, he rules in my mind. He's as fun as Renfield last time. And yeah, I I don't know. I just didn't mind it. I guess it's an ambivalent Green Arrow, but I did feel like, yeah, it's as well made as the Spanish vampire Dracula and same cinematographer, by the way. They knew they were smart enough to go and get the guy that made the better looking Dracula. And the work here is good. I think that just visually, this is an appealing movie. It goes by fast. It's got funny subtext. And yeah, if you're attuned to 1930s cinema conventions, this one works. I'll agree with you, Jacob, in that this is better made for the reasons you stated. It feels like a movie. I mean, you've got a score. You've got those insert shots. The camera moves. You know, you've got focus and changing focus. Things like that are all very cinematic. So this does feel more like a movie which actually is going to make me judge it by a little bit of a higher standard. (laughs) You've got all the tricks of cinema. Now, what are you going to do with them? But I can't agree with you that it's a better movie simply because the performances are so flat that I never get a character to grip onto. You know, the fact that I liked Renfield so much in the last one, and he was our kind of point of view character for half the film. And here... Our hero, Garth, is really kind of a weakling in that he never 
does anything except give chase. I don't know why he's doing all this investigation. At one point, he even says he's with Scotland Yard, which made me laugh because I'm like, yeah, you're doing the job Scotland Yard should be doing while Scotland Yard's chief is playing with his stamp collection. But I couldn't grip onto him. And yeah, Zaleska was just kind of dead in the eyes for most of the film. And maybe that's what she was going for, but it didn't work for me. I just didn't have a good time watching this film. And I did have a good time watching Dracula and found quite a bit to respect in those performances. Here, I blame the writing as much as anything. It just feels unfocused. I can't decide, are we watching a movie about Zaleska or a movie about Garth? I don't know, but I don't want to watch it. It's a not recommend. You bring up something interesting, and I think it's true. I think we'll see it a lot in the Universal Pictures, is that in order to protect the audience, we don't focus on the right characters. There's always these old men, the scientists. You know, <laughs> like This movie has too much about therapist and the rational world. It would have been something if we could have had a more subjective experience for Marja. If we had actually followed Dracula's daughter and she was the main character and we saw her trying to save herself and fight these impulses, I think it would have been a more compelling, emotionally involving film. But they always got to bring in the comedy of the servants and the and the smart people to deconstruct it all. That's just sort of a trope of this world. Worth pointing out, this one could have been it. Dracula's daughter could have taken out the Universal Monsters in seven films and done. The owners of Universal were bankrupt, they, for lots of reasons, they got out of the business, they gave it, sold it to a new head who said, I don't like monster movies, we're going to musicals. And there was no thought about doing another Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman, Invisible Man, done, done, done. And then, you know, you forget this, but there was no TV to take things to. They would have revivals. They would send, they would package films together. They put some of these together in 1938 and they sold a lot of tickets. They realized that the audience was still hungry for monster movies. It was the reason why Universal begrudgingly decided to make Son of Frankenstein, became a big hit, and because of that, we have a Son of Dracula next week to talk about. And in the meantime, this Friday... If you are a patron, we're doing our January patron show. It's a Jack Nicholson film from Alexander Payne about Schmidt. It's chosen by one of you patrons. Yeah, a, a surprise. I got to say, I remember liking it back when I saw it in 2002, but responding to it even more with this viewing. It's, I think I think of Alexander Payne more for election and sideways but uh, yeah, this one is a real gem as well. I hope you can join us. You get this by being a patron of $10 or more on our Podbean patron, which you can get to at nowplayingpatron.com or on our Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash nowplayingpodcast. And I want to give a shout out to some of our patrons this show. These are Podbean patrons, so some of them will be usernames instead of real names, but David Craft 1000, Scott T. Ward 1971, Lucas Dosher, and T. Durden 182. I think he's a Fight Club fan. <laughs> Don't forget about Pete. Uh, Samusa Finlayson. Seamus Finlayson. Oh, okay. Or that one. Yep. Human Error. J Music 418. 
And Grand Canyon. And thank you to me. <laughs> Not me. K-N-E-E. Not head or shoulders, just me. <laughs> yes. I Look, I'm just reading these names. Yeah, I know. Thank you, Kiefer51? Kiefer Sutherland? I don't know. He's more than 51. He's lying about his age. <laughs> Coke SJ, Rudax, and Chicago 09. Thank you all for your patronage. We mangle your usernames, but it does not <laughs> mangle our appreciation for your tremendous, amazing support of our show. And we hope you'll enjoy this Friday's bonus patron exclusive about Schmidt. Thank you all for listening to Now Playing. Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And now, may the evil spirit be cast out until the end of time. thou exorcised, O Dracula, and thy body long undead, find destruction throughout eternity in the name of thy dark, unholy master. In the name of the All-Holiest, and through this cross, be the evil spirit cast out until the end of time. Thank you for listening to this Now Playing Podcast movie review. We hope you enjoyed the show. Listen to them. <laughs> the children of the night. What sweet music they make. Help us spread the word about this show by leaving a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your podcast store of choice. But even if it would work, do you expect me to agree to anything so fantastic? Want more reviews like this one? In the archives section of NowPlayingPodcast.com, you'll find more than 1,000 in-depth movie reviews from our panel of hosts. I hope you will like it. On our site, you can hear reviews for every installment in the world's biggest film franchises, including the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Star Wars, Spider-Man, Batman, X-Men, James Bond, Middle Earth, Jurassic Park, Fast and Furious, and Transformers. You do not know why you came here tonight. It was because I wished you here. Plus, we have individual movie reviews, such as Titanic, E.T., Inception, Big Hero 6, Ready Player One, Pulp Fiction, Apocalypse Now, Doctor Strangelove, and hundreds more. I want to be what you are. See what you see. Love what you love. And come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com next Tuesday for another all-new movie review podcast. Do you always leave me in my film? <laughs> Support from listeners like you keeps Now Playing Podcast on the air. Isn't eternity together better than a few years of ordinary life? You can donate directly by tapping the support button at NowPlayingPodcast.com. A good prince would have paid that price for peace. And you can join our crowdfunding campaign for early access to new episodes, exclusive reviews, and bonus reviews. The spider spinning his web for the unwary fly. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Okay, obviously we're dealing with a little bit more than just narcissism here. 
Associate produced by Jason Latham. I am the king of my kind. Now playing is edited by Heath, Santiago, and Arnie. I condemn you to living death, to eternal hunger for living blood. Now playing credits read by Brock. Words, words, words. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of Enganza Media Incorporated. How can you expect me even to listen to you when you're concealing the truth about yourself? Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Master, we are here. You can't hear what I'm saying, but we are here. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the express written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Your impotent men with their foolish spells cannot protect you from my power. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2023, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Good night, Mr. Renfield. Ha 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 